In the last episode, we considered placement for kids who are applying to the most elite programs in the country. Today, we're going to look at one of the key avenues for developing a resume that can get a student into those institutions, directed entrepreneurship for the precocious. I'll be joined by Lloyd Nemitz, the founder of Spike Lab. He's a serial entrepreneur and startup investor who's been a founder of five for-profits and non-profits in the U.S., Taiwan, Argentina, and India. Previously, he directed 4.0 Schools Education Startup Accelerator, and before that, was on the founding team for Dev Bootcamp, a coding bootcamp acquired by Kaplan Inc. in 2014. Lloyd went to Stanford University for his MBA, majored in economics during his undergraduate studies at Williams College, and was a Fulbright Scholar. Lloyd, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. So could you share just a little bit about your background and particularly what got you into entrepreneurial development? Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, as you mentioned, a repeat entrepreneur. I've, I've done a number of things and even back, you know, things I don't count officially, like in third grade, starting a little snap bracelet business. And, and so I've always loved entrepreneurship. And when I talk about entrepreneurship, it's, it's very broadly defined. We often replace the word with innovation. And I want the audience to sort of think of it that way. It's not only business entrepreneurship, but also just the act of creating something new, taking an idea and putting it out there that has real world impact. And most of the students, as we'll discuss, are not doing businesses. They're doing social impact projects. And so for me, entrepreneurship is part of who I am from a very young age, and I'm also an, an educator. So these are two core identities that are very personal, very core to who I am, what matters to me. And so I didn't realize it was an option. I didn't really think about it for a while. But once it occurred to me, hey, why don't I do both of those, combine those, and teach entrepreneurship, it rang all the bells for me in terms of something I want to pursue. So, so I was really at the core of it. A little more specifically, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I didn't get exposure to entrepreneurship. I grew up in Manhattan, kind of got like the dream education, Manhattan private school, Williams College, but no one taught me the stuff that later I realized like, hey, you can't teach this stuff. Like, why aren't we doing that? Even if you get the best education that supposedly money can buy. And so, you know, it was a bit of chip in my shoulder that I had to go out and sort of figure out on my own when, you know, school should have supported me a bit more. And, you know, I don't blame anyone. I feel very fortunate, but like it got me thinking. And now, you know, over time, I was like, well, I should do something about that. So that's, that's how I got into it. So I wanted to circle back around to something you, you mentioned at the beginning. And I think that was kind of interesting. You distinguish innovation from, I guess, starting a business. What do you think is the sort of difference between those two things? Is it just turning a profit? Is it actually registering a business or what, what's the difference? Well, the difference between a business and like innovation is business is, you know, profit first, right? Like it's, it's the tradition, like you build a business to maximize shareholder value. You have to be able to keep it profitable. Being innovative is more about putting something out there that has value that people derive value from. Now, I always ask the question to our students, what's the difference between creativity and innovation? That's a tricky one. And, and the answer there is that creativity 
doesn't need to generate value to others. You know, you can be very creative. I have a three kids. They're very creative and their drawings do generate value for me and my wife. But, you know, it's not necessarily building value in the marketplace, building value out there. But you can generate value that people are willing to pay for in the form of the arts or in the form of nonprofit work or, you know, just general social impact work. So businesses, they have to be able to monetize and generate monetary value and other innovations create other value or a combination of the two. Could you maybe just describe the mission of Spike Lab now and sort of when it was first developed? Yeah. So our mission is purpose-driven innovators for life. And we put a lot of time into that from the beginning. And notice it's innovators, not entrepreneurship, because in terms of the word there, and there's nothing in there about college admissions, even though a big part of our work is helping students stand out and get into top colleges more so than they would have otherwise. But the point here is for life. You know, these are skills that in an innovation economy that our kids are going to be working in, they need these skills. And our educational institutions weren't designed in a period, you know, where there's an innovation economy. So, so our kids are not going out with the tools and the practice to, to thrive. It's not a high school class, right? I mean, you definitely don't count it out in high school, really anywhere, private or public. Right. It's not a class. And, you know, great teachers are great teachers, right? They embed these things into their, their classrooms in different ways. And so it's not like kids are not getting any of it. But sy- systemically, like our educational institutions are not putting enough weight on it. They're not tracking it. It's not part of the transcript. You know, no one's being measured on it. And so, you know, that's, that's a problem, which I could talk, you know, about forever. But but in terms of our mission, it's purpose-driven innovation. So it's the skills, these innovation abilities, which I've written about at length. And then there's the purpose side of it, which is really, really important. Actually, something I didn't quite realize when I when I started this. I started more to just bring like the best entrepreneurship education to high schoolers. And that was sort of the, the mission. But then as we got more into it, we realized, well, what does that look like? How do you take a, a startup incubator accelerator model? and make it work for high schoolers, it has to change dramatically. And one of the things that in retrospect seems obvious is that high schoolers are in a period of their life where they're figuring out who they are. Like that adolescent, like, who am I? What matters to me? Breaking away from your parents' identities, building your own identity. And so at the core of building out who you are is finding purpose, finding meaning. And things that matter to you are at the core of what drives that formation of identity which leads to confidence and motivation and all these other things that we want our kids to have. And so it's one of the building blocks of accelerated learning and confidence and happiness is purpose, which which is a loaded term, but it just basically means caring about something in an authentic, deep way. And so that is at the core of our purpose as an organization. Our mission is to help students find that. And not by just like, hey, why don't you try this? And just like, it's through action, through self-exploration and then channeling those interests into projects that as you throw yourself into it more, they, they elevate into a deeper sense of meaning. Why do you think entrepreneurial development is, or 
I guess maybe I should use your terminology, innovative development. Why is that important to the student landscape today? Yeah, we, we touched on some, and I'll go through, like, for me, the three big ones, which is the innovation abilities, just developing those abilities, those skills, which we break down into four main categories, initiative, creativity, planning, and communications. Right? There's a lot baked into each of those, but those are sort of the big categories of what, what are these innovation abilities. And you just you need those in today's world. You could have a whole another podcast on just that. But then the next is confidence, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, the confidence from knowing who you are. And, you know, that's really, really powerful. All the anxiety that comes from, like, who am I? I don't know. Like, I'm not worthy. A sense of worthiness, confidence, that comes from a sense of, of who you are and a little bit of, like, success on that pathway to who you are. And it reinforces and then it builds and it's a big deal. It's easy to forget as we get older how hard that period of life is when you haven't been out there in the world and you don't have anything to hang your hat on. So, and the last is college applications. And so colleges want this. They want students who have that mindset of going out there and making things happen, to take initiative. You know, they want to fill their campuses with people who are making stuff happen and who are excited about the world and go out there and have passion and know how to build things. And so they're putting weight on extracurriculars, broadly speaking, more than ever before. But then within extracurriculars, it's like going out and doing interesting things that they clearly authentically care about. So what makes Spike Lab unique? You know, what can it provide to students they wouldn't have without it? A few things, big things that I want to emphasize. The first I've said a bunch is real world impact. There are a lot of entrepreneurship. Not enough, but there are a lot of entrepreneurship programs out there and in the classroom and extracurricular. But one of the hardest things, as you know, as an entrepreneur yourself now and others is, is really getting out there and, and having people use what you've built, what the industry calls product market fit. And so, you know, getting Spike Lab was designed from the beginning. You know, I very intentionally was like, we have to design backwards from product market fit. That has to be something that students experience or else they're not truly experiencing what entrepreneurship is all about, right? It's like, it's like doing theater, but not doing the performance. Like, okay, you could go through the motions, but like you got to get up there on stage in front of an audience. And for entrepreneurship, you got you to gotta go to market with something and see if there's traction. Otherwise, it's not entrepreneurship. It's sort of going through the motions. So I felt that that was very, very important. It was a design constraint to Spike Lab. And we work backwards from that. And that's a hard thing to do because it creates a lot of uncertainty that educational programs don't like. They, you know, in education, you want everyone to sort of be able to get through it. You want to be able to promise like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to, you know, finish and pass but in entrepreneurship like you said it's it's risky well failure as much as success is passing in entrepreneurship that's true that's absolutely true and not all our students get product market fit but they go to market right and most of them you know we're pretty proud to have that impact some smaller impact some very large impact i can tell some stories later but the second big thing is what we call story spike fit so we're called spike lag spike is our word for the project the the sort of the big 
it, you know, the be spiky, build this project that makes you spiky, uh, as opposed to well, well rounded. And so to get that project, we want it to fit your personal story. So we help students develop a sense of, like I was saying, who am I in the form of a personal narrative, a little story about what really matters to them. And that has to align with their project. A lot of people will come up with kind of a neat idea, a cool thing. And, oh, let me do this app for dog walking. It's like, they don't really care that much about dog walking. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. And maybe it works. Maybe it has impact even. But what does that have to do with you? And why is it meaningful to you? And it's really important to tie it to meaning at this age. As I was saying, for the reasons like, you really want people to tap into a sense of purpose because that really unleashes so much more. And the third big thing is the coaches. We, in order to get outcomes and, and to deal with such a difficult curriculum process, we've really found incredible coaches. You know, these are people who have a wide range of backgrounds, but they all are really great with high schoolers and they all have entrepreneurial experience. You know, we have people who've raised millions of dollars. And exited companies, you know, from Stanford Business School. We have Harvard Business School person who started a few companies and working in health tech. You know, we have uh, an off-Broadway theater director who's not like that MBA, but has the arts experience. We have the the Stanford computer science grad who has a consultancy, tech consultant. You know, so those are sort of people we find, we train, and... I think all of that needs to be part of this journey. Here are some observations that I had following the first segment of my conversation with Lloyd. It was interesting that he brought up the point, essentially, that this is not something that is part of the high school curriculum. I think that's absolutely true. There's a complete disunity, really, between what you're learning in high school and the skills you need to sort of really excel on the outside. There's a great deal of diversity in the offering in high school, you know, and you're required to take an array of things from geometry to health to history, you know, but how many of those things really come up in your professional life? If you had a business course, a business startup, that's really something that's practical and something that becomes highly relevant for many, many kids, you know, when they get down the road in their professional career. So I think there ought to be some revision, really in traditional thinking about education. Instead of trying to train kids to go off to liberal arts colleges, which is, I think, maybe kind of the object at this point, some thought ought to be given to training them for the actual professional world that they get to 10 years from then, at least in part. Another observation that I had was that their program really gives you an opportunity to be your own boss and develop autonomy in ways that perhaps you haven't before. As he pointed out, this is sort of the golden age of self-education. If you think about the number of tools that you have online to be able to do this stuff, basically anyone can start a business and do well. The marketing tools that are out there, the sales, I mean, you can automate almost everything. You could create your own sort of automated business. But with infinite resources comes infinite complication. Figuring out which software to use for any one given thing is very difficult. What to use for marketing, which tools should you use? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, 
which is your best channel? Should you use social media? There's lots of material to sort of sort through. So I guess that's really the appeal for an organization like this is to be able to sort through the incredible depth of materials that are out there to be able to start your own entrepreneurial venture. When do you typically encounter a student in their career track? And then maybe just describe the first steps that you would go through with them. Yeah. So our students come at a wide range of ages, but the most are between ninth and 11th grade. And at ninth and 10th is the preferred time, which I'll get into. And so the best time is, is sort of when they want to develop themselves. They want to go out there and have impact and do something and sort of have that feeling of like, yeah, I want to go do something. Youthful energy, right? Yeah. The youthful, like, zest to go out and change the world, right? And that really peaks traditionally in college, but I think it's peaking earlier. And there's this, you know, high schoolers can do that. Now, when that happens, every kid is different. And that's why I don't like to put like a grade on it. It's more of like when they're feeling that sort of like, yeah, I'm ready to go out and do something. And some peak later in college, some like post-college, and that's fine too. It's interesting you said they're peaking earlier these days. I guess it's being beaten out of them at an earlier age, that optimism. I guess. I think it's optimism, but also just the empowered sort of tools that are out there. You know, young people are becoming YouTubers. Like they have friends who are making tons of money as Instagram influencers and whatever it may be. And they see these young role models and the Mark Zuckerbergs, at least he's he's a little older now. not the best example anymore because people hate Facebook, but, but you know what I mean? Like people, like they see these roles, they feel like they can do anything. You know, the Greta Thunberg is a great example of a social entrepreneur who cover of Time Magazine, right? And like people see that and they're like, I, I can do that. Or maybe they don't feel that way, but I want them to. And they're starting to feel like I can do that. You see the Olympic athletes, like young people feel like they can do anything we just have to you know help them do it so anyway like that is when they're coming to us and their steps you asked about like what are the first steps and the first steps which i've alluded to are developing that story so like first it's like who am i what do i care about what am i because a lot of people don't really have that much clarity on what their passions are you ask them what their interests are and they're like have that quick answer like yeah i like soccer and coding and shopping and whatever it may be video games and and you know i'm really into math but like for me that doesn't work in our program like you got to get down into the let you know layers of the onion and to the core and like start to really get at like more niche things and where what are you really passionate about and and so there's some exploration work there and then from there we get into ideation so we have a six step process to give a little more structure to a very ambiguous process so the first is the founder story then after that is identifying the idea the spike idea the project then it's going out and validating it which is part of design thinking and the whole best practices is like you got to validate your idea before you launch it to de-risk it to take risk out then you launch it to get that initial traction usually a bit of pivoting as you go to market then you get more traction, solidify it, and then you scale, try to have more impact. And that's a pretty standard process. We've added on the sort of founder story and idea identification stages to a 
the rest of that is pretty standard in the startup accelerator model. And so the first steps are that story and identifying the idea. And that's a really fun process, but you know, with lots of brainstorming and talking to experts and you know, finding a few things that someone's really interested in, and then they dive in and talk to experts and research it and come back and they have more knowledge and then they brainstorm more and they look for benchmark ideas out there and sort of brainstorm concepts and we bring in other people to brainstorm with them and you know try to get at rule of thumb is over 100 ideas at least per student and then whittle it down to one and so it's a lot it sounds like a lot but when you get into the brainstorming things come fast and and when you do rounds of brainstorming and you iterate on the brainstorming you know it starts to to happen and that takes out some of the risk and it makes you choose from some really good ideas instead of what a lot of people do wrong is they come up with an idea they like and they just run with it. And then six months have passed and they're like, I don't really love it. Like, it wasn't the best idea. Right. So, right, right. Now, what is, what is the time commitment for something like this? Big. It is a big time commitment. So this has to be one of your top extracurriculars is the way I like to frame it. And so, you know, the way you throw yourself into a sport or a musical instrument, the sort of time commitment that our students are looking at and have to be prepared for. Because real world impact at such a young age where you're also developing all these abilities alongside of bringing something into the world is is time consuming. And so it's, it's not for everyone. If you have a packed schedule, don't just squeeze this in because you feel like you have to, whether it's with us or, or on your own. One thing I just want to say is that, you know, we're, we're training wheels on a bicycle. We're not the bicycle. So Spike Lab facilitates identifying and building a spike, but people, you can do it on your own, right? Like this is something you can do. It's just, we're there to help. And it's hard to do on your own, you know, so it's a little bit like an athletic coach. You need a coach usually to get really good at a sport, but that doesn't take anything away from you and you can work with a different coach or you can sort of go different paths so so I, that, that's i just want to make sure everyone realizes like this is something you could do on your own you could start today and get help from a parent or uh, you know a teacher or a coach and you know we're pros at this we do this all we do we develop the whole thing but i i definitely want to encourage people to just just pursue it our program is weekly 90 minute sessions w- on zoom it's almost like tutoring where you will meet on a weekly or, or bi-weekly basis. And then the coach is there to, to help guide them, to keep them going, get them unstuck, push them through all, all of the different stages and make it sort of easier, like laid out a bit more of a railroad track for them to go faster. And so that's the core of our service. So our service is one-on-one 90-minute weekly sessions. Then we have a whole bunch of support around that. So we have what we call a spike dean, which is someone who is like the secondary coach to make sure things are going well. We have a success coach, which watches more carefully every student because the dean is, can't be on top of all the details. And we have a marketing advisor to help on the marketing things, which is like something as simple as what's the name of your venture? What's the logo? How do you build a logo? How do you build a website? How do you do basic like campaigns, ad campaigns, if you need to do that. How do you build out a blog? How do you deal with PR, press? Our students are getting a lot of press. So we support on that 
And so all of that is there to sort of support the, the student. Well, I imagine it's kind of one of those things where you determine to some degree your own level of involvement with a startup business. You can spend 80 hours a week on it easily just in all of those different areas that are involved in starting an actual business. I mean, you're talking about every single department, right? Finance, operations, sales. There's a lot, right? Yeah, it's a whole thing. You sort of pick out how much you want to go and we tailor it to the student's availability. And some will go really deep, like you said, like 80 hour weeks over the summer, especially. We see that sometimes. Wow, that's cool. Are there stories that you could share of kids that have done some impressive startups? Absolutely, absolutely. So one I I really love is a student named Julia. She came to us really into cosplay. And so for anyone who doesn't know what cosplay is, it's sort of this underground world of like dressing up yourself with makeup and outfits. And it's quite a lot of skill to it. And you go to like conferences or you go to things and you do it. And it's like a whole hobby and often it's dressing up in anime it's a lot of east asian orientation but not not only and anyway she's really into that and we were scratching our heads with her like hmm i wonder how how that gets channeled into like a a spike project but we're very very adamant about not like just dismissing things that seem like they're not serious because she was generally into it and quite an expert and spending thousands of hours on it and so there was that, and then she was into photography. And over time, we realized just from this initial sort of exploration part that we do with students that she was the child of a single mom, and that that was very impactful, you know, on who she is in different ways. You know, like there was a shadow side to it that she didn't like to talk about, and but she was proud of it also, and, and all of that. So from that, she ended up developing a spike that was sort of a combination of all of that. She went out and interviewed other children of single parents from alternative parenting models and did this sort of sociological, anthropological research where she would do these interviews, have notes. She found it really meaningful because she just never talked to anyone about this stuff and didn't really know what was out there. It was a big part of who she was. And so that was really exciting for her. And then she pulled from that, she created these composite characters and did sort of portraiture work where instead of taking photography photographs of the people she interviewed she did self-portraiture of these composite characters where she did the cosplay like she dressed up and took pictures of herself and and created basically exhibits really interesting exhibits that sort of were talking about this issue of alternative parenting the stigma around it and bring it out in the open um, to talk about. And she called it We Don't Talk About That as the title. And she, instead of waiting for photography galleries to take her work, which would have taken a year or two, or if she even got any to do it, she just did pop-up galleries in Airbnbs and any place, like some maker spaces offered her space, and she sort of hustled to find exhibition space is that something you helped her towards or pointed her towards definitely definitely like just generally like hustling and and you know there was brainstorming around it and i'm not even sure i wasn't her coach but i'm not sure how that idea came out but you know often it just comes out you know you just through talking you don't even remember who comes up with it but just through conversation ideas 
Germany. And so she just went out and, and did it and marketed it and didn't get huge crowds. It wasn't like this massive thing where everyone in the whole city like knew about it. It didn't need to be. like It was just a really meaningful thing. She definitely got hundreds of people to these exhibits. And it wasn't just the exhibit, but then they, at two times during each exhibit, they would stop and they would have a discussion. It became a discussion group, moderated, and people would talk about the issue. And there were pretty powerful things. She moderated it. You know, this is a high schooler moderating with strangers. And it was just so cool. And then some press came through her press release and it was written up in a newspaper and people saw it. And, and I remember she mentioned once to her coach one day, she was like, yeah, some people at my school came to me. She was like, they were saying like, is this you? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. You know, and that, when I talk about confidence, like that, that kind of thing, like just does wonders. I love this example because it was very academic. It had this sort of anthropological thing, even though she never thought of anthropology because it was personal, it just sort of happened. And then it pulled in cosplay, which you'd never think. And so when she applied to colleges, she's probably the only one to ever apply with a cosplay anthropological profile. And, you know, her school counselor told her not to apply to some of these top schools. No one in her school had ever gotten into Dartmouth. And, you know, that's, I remember that clearly because I was like, no, no, you should definitely apply there if you like it. So she got in there and she got into Northwestern and she ended up going to Northwestern. You know, and when they wrote her with her acceptance letter in there, it specifically mentioned this part of her profile. So definitely like, so anyway, that's, I love, I love these examples because it's like everyone is so unique, nothing to do with business, right? Like this is very far from business. Yeah. Very interesting. Here's some observations that stood out to me after my second segment with Lloyd. Colleges really are looking for the self-doers. And that was kind of a point that he brought up. There is an extra weight on extracurricular ways to stand out, I'd say. When the typical sort of student is looking more and more generic these days. They have a very good GPA, very solid test scores. Their recommendations all say that they belong in heaven. <laughs> and solid essay. I mean, that no longer guarantees you sort of admission into not only the top, top schools, but really top 50 schools. You really need something on that resume that's going to make you stand out from that generic student because they're just getting hammered by a zillion applications. This is one way to do it. You know, if you, if you have that sort of headlining business or entrepreneurial venture that's on there that's had a lot of success, that's, I think, definitely makes you stand out from that sort of generic student. There are other ways to do it, but it's a pretty good one. And it also is a very high likelihood of being something that kid is going to end up pursuing you know, as a vocation or 10 years after they get out of school too. It's sort of an added bonus. Another thing that stood out to me really was the commitment that this takes. <laughs> And I don't think it's something to poo-poo. As he said, it has to be sort of your top priority. It's not something you could squeeze in, as he says. I think it goes on during the summer, it goes on during the school year. You really have to be committed. And I think 
their process in, in getting to that point is a good one because as he says, they sort of burrow down deep on who you are and you know, it has to be something that you're really interested in. If that's really gonna be your top extracurricular priority and something you're doing in the summers, you know, all three seasons and not giving up on, you know, you really have to be passionate about that thing. So it strikes me that that's kind of a key part of the process. You know, in having my own sort of daughter, and she's a bit younger, she's 10, so, you know, maybe her stick to itiveness is not, not quite where it will be when she's in high school or at, at 16 or 17, obviously not, right? But that's what I would be concerned about would be, you know, is that something that she can commit to and, you know, really take that seriously and devote that much time to. But certainly the payoff for it of that level of focus is equally valuable as much as the commitment is that you're putting into it. How has the pandemic impacted student innovation? Yeah, a few major ways it's impacted everything. One is that just tangibly it increased spikes. I've seen it not just within our program, but generally. And definitely for us, it drove more people our way. And that's because of a few things. One is test optional policies at schools made sort of standardized tests less important. Grades were not less important, but more unreliable during the pandemic, a little more inconsistent with pass-fail and people working. And colleges didn't know what to make of these grades as much as they did before. And so it just put more weight on extracurriculars. But then this is at the same time that all extracurriculars were getting canceled, you know, and, and so... Students needed to fill the gap. They had that time from canceled things. And so a combination of that just made a lot of sense. For the people who were in the know that knew this was an option, a lot more tended to take this risky sort of path and do something that's not a typical thing to do. So that was like the biggest thing. And related to that, it's unfortunate, is this sort of divide we've seen. A bigger gap between like who adjusted to the pandemic more or not like you know this big shock hits our whole society and some people get knocked back by that shock everybody get knocked certain back but some like stay back and others adjust and so you know we found that in order part of adjusting is finding the new thing finding something that works with all the constraints that people had in covid and spikes and these sort of independent projects became a way to build up your extracurricular profile in a more flexible way. So we saw a lot of people sort of embracing that, which they hadn't before. So are there kind of trends that you can see with sort of innovation that students could take advantage of? Not really. I mean, I, there are always trends in society, right? Like moving things moving online and all of that. Are there sectors or industries or angles that are sort of easy to uh, to engage this type of process well i would almost say the opposite which is everyone goes to tech it's like oh let's build the app and or the website and we try to steer people away from that unless they have a high level of technical prowess so you know building an app that actually gets used is really hard and like you're competing with you know millions of dollars of the best engineers and you really have to compete. And so if you're serious about impact, you have to be careful as to going to tech. Um, now, obviously, there's huge amount of interest in tech. And there are ways to go like light on tech, utilize like apps and utilize technology stacks to do things. 
that is sort of what we call low tech. So leveraging technology to do things, but to build like a unique thing that requires a lot of coding and sort of a unique, that's really hard, but obviously a lot of people are interested in it. So just a little bit of word of warning there for anyone doing it on their own, but leveraging tech is definitely a trend and makes a lot of sense, but tech is everywhere these days, right? And there's a software layer of everything. Sustainability has been extremely popular and sort of a trend. I mentioned Greta Thunberg, like, you know, the world is, and also health tech, you know, with the pandemic, like, you know, people have gotten much more into the health space. We see a lot more health related, more sustainability related than, you know, just growing in those areas. If you had sort of one piece of advice for parents of students who might benefit from this type of service, what would, what would that piece of advice be? I wish I had this in high school. It's to be open to atypical extracurriculars. You know, the ones that you don't see other, others doing that you didn't do. Extracurriculars have changed so much since I went to high school and it's, it's a whole new landscape and it's kind of a disservice to just do the same because it, it's, it's like using your Apple IIc, first one you had 20 years ago. Like things are at a different place and you want to, use the, the cutting edge stuff, you know, and related to this is that if you do the typical ones, like I always use the example model UN, which I did, that's actually a wonderful program. There's a lot of wonderful things in it, but it doesn't stand out to selective colleges. And you learn a lot about debate and about international relations, international policy. It's a wonderful thing, but you can get that in so many different ways now and explore all of those and explore like, what is it about model UN that's so great and like find other things. And and part of it is to take the road less traveled and, and learn the grit and perseverance and skills that go with doing new things, but also standing out. Like you're not gonna stand out if you're doing what everyone else does. And keep it tied to your identity. Like help help your kid, give your kid permission, permission to pursue that cosplay, that thing that seems ridiculous, but channel it in a serious way. Here are some final observations about my conversation with Lloyd. This is something that's very cutting edge, I would say. He kind of used that phrase with it. Don't do the sort of generic extracurriculars. And by that, I think we can maybe expand and say that it's about being on the soccer team and yearbook committee and UN is, is an example we brought up. That doesn't really stick out. Again, that sort of lumps you in with this generic sort of student profile that colleges are seeing a gazillion of. It might be a valuable experience. I mean, you might be pretty good at soccer, for instance, and that be sort of rewarding, you know, on a number of levels, but it's certainly not going to stick out. And perhaps the antidote for that is to do something that is cutting edge, that's really still being developed and not really institutionalized at this point. And this is one avenue for doing it, not the only one, but this is one way to accomplish that. The second observation is this is certainly a commitment and a risk on a number of levels. First of all, you have to devote really the center of your life to this. That's a huge time commitment in terms of breadth and in depth. You're not just meeting once a week. To run a business venture seriously and to do it well it really requires quite a few hours per week. You could spend almost infinite hours on any business venture, right? 40, 60, 80. If you're doing that full time, obviously you're going to school as well. 
but I can attest personally that it is a huge time commitment. So that's not something to be taken lightly. The other perhaps hidden fact is that you do have to risk things financially if you're going to do an actual entrepreneurial venture or actually start a business. You distinguish sort of entrepreneurship from profit. Those are not necessarily profitable ventures that they're going for. But, you know, I think many times they are. <laughs> many times it is about money and that is something that they will need to consider. And that's good. That's great practice for them. They do need to risk something. And, you know, maybe risk assessment really is a very important skill in their lives. But it is a risk and, you know, something also to be measured when you're considering whether you really want to go this path.